Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our Pali Canon in English study group where we study the words of the Buddha. Using these books, this book series, The Words of the Buddha, The Path to Enlightenment, Revealing the Hidden. Today we're starting Volume 5, which is a new book for this program. We're just starting into Volume 5 out of this 13-book series. And we're doing chapters 1 through 10. We're going to be reading those chapters in today's class. I'll be teaching and sharing any teachings around the chapter and then open up for any questions that you guys might have in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom as you learn the teachings here in the class. Or if you've been reading these books as part of preparing for the class, then you might be actually coming to class with questions. If you don't have access to these books, you can get them for free by going to buddhadailywisdom.com and clicking on the button for the free downloads. From there, you'll see all the volumes listed where you can download the PDF version of these books or you can take it and go get it printed and have a printed copy for yourself. And you can even order a copy on Amazon, which is already pre-printed for you in a really nice format. So if you would like to participate in this program, it's offered openly and freely to everybody who might be interested to learn and understand the Buddhist teachings and then practice them so that you can gain the benefit of the actual teachings. It's not just learning them that is going to improve the condition of the mind. It's learning, reflecting, and then practicing to improve the condition of your mind and also the condition of your life. So each Saturday we get together for this program in order to help you gradually learn the words of the Buddha taking 10 chapters a week. So I'd like to welcome all of you, whether you're watching this live or you're listening on one of the replays through Facebook, YouTube, through the podcast or any other mechanism where we distribute out content to, I'd like to welcome all of you to our class and at the same time say Merry Christmas to all of you. For those of you guys that are maybe tuning in during the Christmas holiday, today is December 25th and perhaps there's some people who are celebrating the holiday through learning the teachings of the Buddha. So I'd like to welcome all of you. The way that we start this program is we do meditation in order to prepare the mind for learning. And by doing that, it helps you to retain the teachings for a longer period of time. When you're actually meditating, it clears out any clutter and helps you to kind of refine the mind so that as you're learning today, it will help you to retain the teachings and ultimately be able to practice them in your daily life. So if you'd like to take a position for meditation, either seated, lying, or standing, we'll just do a brief meditation here in order to kind of prepare the mind for the class because most of the people who are 
learning in this program have already developed a meditation practice where they're meditating two or three times a day. And this is just kind of like a little touch up as a way to kind of touch up the mind and kind of get it prepared for today's class. I'll start off with a chant just to kind of get us eased into meditation. And then afterwards, I'll provide just a brief little bit of guidance in order to help you in your meditation. Sawakato Just start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Should be a nice natural breath. Breathing in and out. Breathing in through the nose, experiencing the whole breath. Breathing out, experiencing the full exhale. Focus the mind on the breath. 
Bring the awareness of mind to the breath, the sound of the breath, or the sensation of air moving into the nose. This is the present moment. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in. And out. With the mind fixated on the breath, anytime the mind moves off the breath, cut that off, let it go. Come back to the breath, the present moment. Training the mind to let go and fixate on the breath, developing concentration. Breathing in and out. I'm going to let you do this work. I'm going to be quiet now. Let you go internal, training the mind to have awareness of mind or mindfulness, training the mind to have right concentration, singleness of mind, and training the mind to easily let go of thoughts, coming back to the breath. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath. Breathing in. And out.
of studying the Buddha's teachings using the words of the Buddha. As I mentioned, we're in volume five, which is a new volume for us. We're just starting this volume today in chapters one through 10. So if you've been reading ahead, you may have read these chapters already and you've come to class for seeking guidance and asking questions and also hearing any additional teachings as part of the chapter. Or if you're joining us for the first time, we're going to be reading these chapters. A student or some volunteer, possibly even me at some point, will be reading one of these chapters as we go through each of the 10 chapters so that you can learn them as we go. And then I'll share some teachings and then open up to any questions that you might have. If you don't have this book, you can download it from buddhadailywisdom.com. Click on the button that's there, take you to the free books, and you'll be able to download all the different volumes, including volume five. As you have questions in today's class, just put them into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Our moderator will see that and be sure your question gets asked during the class. 
Or if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand, ask any questions or follow up questions directly. So I'm just going to turn the class over to all of you and mainly Bossom being the moderator to kind of guide us through all the different readings and who's going to be reading and any questions that might come up in addition to those who raise their hand in Zoom. So once again, welcome to all of you guys. Hope you're having a very a wonderful holiday season, very peaceful holiday season. We'll study the Buddhist teachings as a way to help you continue your journey on the path to enlightenment. Hello, teacher. The mirror of the stream enter. Ananda, I will teach you a teachings exposition called the mirror of the teachings, equipped with which a noble disciple, if he aspires, could by himself declare of himself. I am one finished with hell, finished with the animal realm, finished with the realm of afflicted spirits, finished with the plane of misery, the bad destinations, the nether world. I am a stream enterer, no longer bound to the nether world, fixed in destiny, with enlightenment as my destination. And what Ananda is a teaching exposition, the mirror of the teachings, equipped with which a noble disciple, if he aspires, could by himself declare thus of himself. Here, Ananda, a noble disciple possesses confirmed confidence in the Buddha, thus, the perfectly enlightened one is an arahant, perfectly enlightened, accomplished in true wisdom and conduct, fortunate, knower of the worlds, unsurpassed leader of persons to be tamed, teacher of heavenly beings and humans, the enlightened one, the fortunate one. He possesses confirmed confidence in the teachings, thus the teachings are well expounded by the perfectly enlightened one, directly visible, immediate, a inviting one to come and see, applicable to be personally experienced by the wise. He possesses confirmed confidence in the community, thus the community of the perfectly enlightened one disciples is practicing the wholesome way, practicing the straight way, practicing the true way, practicing the proper way, that is, the four pairs of persons, the eight types of individuals, this community of the perfectly enlightened ones and disciples is worthy of gifts, worthy of hospitality, worthy of offerings, worthy of respectful salutation, the unsurpassed field of merit for the world. He possesses the virtues dear to the noble ones, unbroken, untorn, unblemished, unmoted, freeing, praised by the wise, ungrasped, leading to concentration. This Ananda is those teachings position, the mirror of the teachings, equipped with which a noble disciple, if he aspires, could by himself declare of himself. All right, thank you, Bossom. So this entire volume is dedicated to the first stage of enlightenment, which is called stream enterer. That first stage of enlightenment, there's many aspects of learning and practicing that a practitioner would need to experience and build up in order for them to actually attain this first stage of enlightenment. And that's a major goal on this path to enlightenment. It's a major milestone. Arahant, the fourth stage of enlightenment, is the ultimate goal. But this first stage of enlightenment, once somebody gets to that first stage of enlightenment, they're no longer going to be reborn into the lower realms of hell, animal realm, or the afflicted spirit. So this is 
a nice milestone to meet because once you attain stream entry, you're going to attain enlightenment within seven rebirths, no more than seven rebirths from that point. Some of you who are studying now, you could potentially get to that stream entry or even beyond to enlightenment. Or some of you that are studying now may have been a stream enter in a past life. It's hard to say from this perspective to let you know that or you don't even really necessarily need to know that. But this stage of enlightenment is nonetheless a very important milestone that is something that should be studied closely and this entire book is going to be dedicated to helping you get to the stage of enlightenment described as a stream enter or also the first stage of enlightenment. Here the Buddha uses the term noble disciple. During his lifetime there were many different people that were teaching, many different teachers who were claiming it was their teachings that led to enlightenment. We know today that none of those teachings did lead to enlightenment. It's only the Buddha's teachings that are still around from that time and place. So we know that his teachings have stood the test of time. And we know that there's people today that are still attaining enlightenment from the teachings of the Buddha. And that's one of the criteria of being an actual Buddha. Someone who's discovered the path to enlightenment is that after their death, their teachings will continue to prosper in the world and people will continue to be able to attain enlightenment. He used this term noble disciple to mean his close students, people who are studying in a very close and dedicated way because the Buddha himself prior to becoming enlightened and a Buddha was part of the royal family. He was born in a very influential high class family. He was a prince and destined to become the king. So during his lifetime, it was believed that if you were born into a low family, that you were kind of destined for a kind of a low meager life and you didn't really have very many opportunities available to you. And it was only this noble upper class people that were educated and kind of had a better life. So the Buddha took this belief and kind of tipped it upside down on its head and showed that it wasn't about what family you were born into that determined whether you were noble or not. Instead, it was about your wisdom, your moral conduct, and your mental discipline. By having wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline, you could become noble. And this is somebody who is looked at as being very worthy of salutations, very worthy of offerings, very worthy of gifts, as the Buddha talked about here. There's many criteria that need to be met in order to attain the first stage of enlightenment as a stream enterer. This entire book is going to lay all that out for you and actually provide you the teachings to help you get to stream entry. But you would have had to have already learned a lot of other teachings, which are part of volume one in the book series that I share, that it's really important to establish a really solid life practice with that first and start moving the mind into the jhanas before somebody can actually attain the first stage of enlightenment. You can't go from being completely off the path to reading this book and then boom, you're gonna be a stream enterer. It takes a lot more work, a lot more dedication than that and that's why this is volume five out of a 13 book series because there's a lot of other work that a student and a practitioner would need to do in order to get to this first stage of enlightenment. So it's really important that as you progress in this book, that you ensure that you've already done a lot of due diligence and really paid attention in a really dedicated and determined way to build up your life practice with the other content 
that I share as part of other programs and other resources. But as you move into this book, you're going to start seeing where the Buddha talks about someone can declare of themselves to be a stream enterer. That's what he's talking about here. Today, we don't go around and tell people that we are a stream enterer. We don't go around and tell people we are enlightened. We consider this to be arrogance and pride and someone who is in one of those attainments, particularly someone who's enlightened, wouldn't go around and tell other people that they are enlightened. And it can actually be kind of detrimental to the mind, not only to tell other people that you are believing that you're enlightened or that you believe that you're a stream enter, but even believing it yourself, even though the Buddha says one can declare of themselves. What he's essentially saying here is that if you attain the first stage of enlightenment as a stream enter, you can know for yourself that you are done with the lower realms, that you will no longer be reborn in hell, animal, or afflicted spirits realm. He's not suggesting that you declare it to yourself and really firmly necessarily believe it and then go around with a chip on your shoulder and kind of tell people that you are a stream enter. This would be the opposite of being humble and eliminating arrogance or conceit or pride. So here the Buddha is just trying to help you see what is the path to attaining the first stage of enlightenment as a stream enterer? And here he gives kind of a few criteria that you're going to see throughout the entire book, along with all the other criteria that he talks about. But some of the important criteria starting off here is to have confirmed confidence in the Buddha, the teachings, and the community. Because in order to attain that first stage of enlightenment, a practitioner would have already needed to deeply understood and be practicing the three universal truths, the four noble truths, the eightfold path. They would need to be practicing the five precepts. They would need to understand the three poisons, the natural law of gamma, merit, a lot of other teachings along with understanding and practicing meditation very deeply. I kind of share some of the core teachings that need to be learned as part of the first volume. The first volume gives you an entire overview and framework of the entire path to enlightenment. And then I give you kind of like seven core teachings to really focus on, even though the book covers the whole spectrum of teachings. In that volume, I identify seven key teachings to really focus in on in order to get the mind to move into the jhanas. And once the mind moves into the jhanas, the mind is experiencing deep concentration, a significant degree of mindfulness, equanimity. There's joy that's starting to come into the mind, this unconditioned joy. There's a diminishing of discontentedness. So someone who moves into the jhanas, you haven't done that by accident. There's some real effort that needs to be undertaken in order to move into the jhanas. And once the mind moves into the jhanas and prior to getting into the first stage of enlightenment, a practitioner would need to start having this confirmed confidence and they would have had confirmed confidence to go from where they were off the path to enlightenment to now studying and developing their mind to a certain degree with some of these core central teachings to now be experiencing these jhanas where it's like night and day where the mind experiences these preliminary phases prior to getting into the first stage of enlightenment. And the person knows that it was the Buddhist teachings that led me to that. So it's really easy for someone who's in the jhanas to actually have 
confirm confidence in the Buddha because they're experiencing the benefits of his teachings. So therefore, it's really easy for them to have confirmed confidence in the teachings as well because they would have had to learn a good deal of them just to be able to get into the jhanas. And then the community is the other practitioners who are part of your community who are there as a support system and helping you along this path. So those are the three what we call the triple gem or the triple jewel, the Buddha, the teachings, and the community. In Pali, this is called the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. You might have heard this, where in order to move into the first stage of enlightenment, you have to eliminate the first three fetters. We're going to talk about that in this book. That's the kind of primary criteria in order to get to the first stage of enlightenment is to eliminate the first fetter, which is personal existence view. The second fetter is doubt. And the third fetter is wrong grasp of behaviors and observances. Well, if you have confirmed confidence in the Buddha, the teachings and the community, as well as your teacher who has guided you to experience those jhanas and your own ability to experience the jhanas, having now experiencing them, then that fetter of doubt, that second fetter, could be said to be completely eliminated and dissolved. Therefore, that's one aspect of the mind that a practitioner would need to be able to accomplish in order to get to the first stage of enlightenment is to eliminate that fetter of doubt, doubt about the Buddha, doubt about his teachings, doubt about the community, doubt about your teacher, doubt about your own ability to attain enlightenment. And when you remove doubt, then you know, yes, I have confidence that the Buddha was in fact a Buddha. This man indeed lived. His teachings are in fact leading me closer and closer to enlightenment because I can see it for myself. You have more mindfulness. You have more concentration. You have more joy. Your discontentedness has diminished. You start seeing tranquility of mind, all these other qualities starting to kind of percolate and get a glimpse of what enlightenment looks like. And there's a certain community that has supported you and that you've been part of in order to help you get to where you are in those jhanas. So here what the Buddha is explaining is that in order to eliminate doubt, that second fetter, even though he doesn't reference it here, he does in other places, you would need to have this confirmed confidence in these three things, the triple gem or the triple jewel. And then he talks about virtues. This is virtuous behavior or virtuous conduct that is dear to the noble ones. Remember, the noble ones are the students who are practicing very deeply. So there's these really deep students who are practicing wholesome moral conduct that understand that there are certain qualities of mind and certain qualities of one's practice from a moral conduct standpoint that they know that, okay, these are the qualities of someone who's going to be entering the first stage of enlightenment as a stream enter. And then the Buddha says here that, you know, these virtues are unbroken, untorn, unblemished, unmodeled, freeing, praised by the wise, ungrasped, leading to concentration. So these are the things that you learn as part of the entire eightfold path, things that are part of right speech, right action, and right livelihood, for example. So let me just stop here and see what questions you guys have related to this first chapter. Well, 
if one needs to go through the four jhanas prior to attaining the first stage of enlightenment, should one try to figure out in which jhana they are? I don't suggest someone spend a whole lot of time attempting to figure out which jhana they're in because the jhanas are temporary and the mind can actually backslide from the jhanas. It can actually revert and go out of the jhanas. Once the mind's in the first stage of enlightenment, it can't regress from there. But in the jhanas, it can regress. So if someone has a lot of craving to figure out which jhana they're in, that can actually regress the mind. And even if you knew that you were in the second jhana, for example, to get from the second into the third into the fourth jhana, there's nothing different or unique that you necessarily need to necessarily start practicing. It's all the same stuff that is going to move you through those different jhanas. It can help you to learn the jhanas that as you're experiencing the jhanas, to read over them multiple times and kind of equate those to the experiences that you're having in the mind so that you can see without a shadow of the doubt that the words of the Buddha that he explained over 2,500 years ago, that you're experiencing those exact things that he's talking about, that can really help you to confirm that the jhanas are real and that the, the words that the Buddha used are completely accurate in terms of the way that he describes the jhanas. But in terms of dissecting it to figure out exactly, exactly which jhana you're in, I don't suggest you spend too much time on that. Instead, continue to focus on developing your entire life practice through the Eightfold Path and all the other teachings that sink into it, and then start focusing on eliminating the first three fetters. Because your goal would be to get out of the jhanas and into the first stage of enlightenment. So the more you focus on the actual jhanas themselves, the less you're focused on the first stage of enlightenment actually getting to the first stage of enlightenment. So again, you know, a general understanding of the jhanas and learning and reading and observing the qualities of mind that are being experienced exactly as the Buddha said it, I think is beneficial, but more closely focus on those first three fetters and all the other things you're going to learn in this book in order to help you get to the first stage of enlightenment. That's what's going to move you out of the jhanas and take you away from the potential of having your mind regress out of the jhanas. Does this mean that a practitioner shouldn't start working to eliminate the first three fetters until one attains the first stage of enlightenment? I think what you're trying to say there is, does this mean that a practitioner shouldn't focus on the first three fetters until they attain the first jhana, right? Right. So that's what I suggest. I suggest that those seven teachings that I talk about in volume one, which is the universal truths, those three universal truths, the four noble truths, the eightfold path, the five precepts, the seven factors of enlightenment, the 10 fetters, the Brahma Viharas, and extensive meditation training, those are the core and central teachings that I suggest people really focus on. And there's other teachings that you're going to need to learn as part of that, which are part of volume one, two, three, and four. All of those teachings in there are what's going to get you into the jhanas. And rather than focusing prematurely on the first three fetters, it would be 
wise to instead focus really deeply and know these other teachings that I just described inside and out, backwards and forwards, and not just learn from an intellectual standpoint, but build up your practice so that you're practicing them. So that you're not just knowing what right speech is, but you're actually practicing it. You're not just knowing what right action or right livelihood is, for example, but you're actually practicing these things. So there's a lot of work to do there that's going to require a lot of dedication and determination and diligence from a practitioner. So making sure that you have that solid foundation there is going to only help you later as you move through the first, second, third, and fourth stage of enlightenment. If you too prematurely start focusing on the stages of enlightenment and you don't have the foundation down, then it's going to be a lot harder to move through the four stages of enlightenment because you don't have your foundation really solid. So I suggest making your foundation really, really solid to know these teachings inside and out, backwards and forwards, and be practicing them because that's what's going to get you into the jhanas. Then as you're experiencing the jhanas, that's the point that you can really start focusing in on the first stage of enlightenment and the mind's actually ready to attain the first stage of enlightenment at that point. The three fetters that are part of moving into the first stage of enlightenment, that first fetter of personal existence view, the mind's not ready to let that go in the first month or three months or six months of practice. There's a whole lot of preparation and a whole lot of things you need to do in order to kind of prepare the mind to be willing to let go of that personal existence view. So if you jumped in too quick and tried to address the three fetters of the first stage of enlightenment, the mind's not going to be ready to release them anyway. So you're kind of like going up against a brick wall. So it's much better to focus on the foundation, building that up really strong, preparing the mind, experiencing the jhanas and getting a taste of what that's like, and then start focusing on the first three fetters to move into the first stage of enlightenment. Thanks, Tisha. All right. So now we go to chapter two. Here you can see all the explanations that I'm sharing as part of each chapter. Here I provided a lot just to get people started. So now chapter two. Yes, Who is a stream entry? First discourse. Monks, a noble disciple who possesses four things is a stream entry. No longer bound to the nether world, fixed in destiny, with enlightenment as his destination. What for? Here, monks, a noble disciple possesses confirmed confidence in the Buddha thus. The perfectly enlightened one is an arahant. Perfectly enlightened, accomplished in true wisdom and conduct, fortunate, knower of the worlds, unsurpassed leader of persons to be tamed, teacher of heavenly beings and humans, the enlightened one, the fortunate one. He possesses confirmed confidence in the teachings thus. The teachings are well expounded by the perfectly enlightened one, directly visible, immediate, inviting to one to come and see, applicable to be personally experienced by the wise. He possesses confirmed confidence in the community thus. The community of the perfectly enlightened one's disciples is practicing the wholesome way, practicing the straight way, practicing the true way, practicing the proper way, that is, the four pairs of persons, the eight types of individuals. This community of the perfectly enlightened one's disciples is worthy of gifts, worthy of hospitality, worthy of offerings, 
worthy of respectful salutation, the unsurpassed field of merit for the world. He possesses the virtues dear to the noble ones, unbroken, untorn, unblemished, unmodeled, freeing, praised by the wise, ungrasped, leading to concentration. A noble disciple monks who possesses these four things is a stream enterer, no longer bound to the netherworld, fixed in destiny with enlightenment as his destination. All right. Thank you, Miranda. So you're going to see chapters here that are repeating essentially the same thing in a slightly different way. And it's important to understand that when the Buddha was teaching, that when you see a teaching like this, you have to look at it in its totality. The Buddha is not saying here that a stream enter only possesses these four things. But what he's saying is a stream enter does possess these four things. But you're going to see in his other teachings that he adds other things. It's not only these four things. There's other things as well. So don't look at this as these are the only four things that a stream enter has accomplished in terms of their practice. So that's really important as you progress through this book, but also through the entire book series, you'll see the Buddha describe different things and he'll describe them in different ways, adding additional things here and there. I thought what I would highlight here, since we already kind of talked an overview in the first chapter, is here you can see the Buddha is talking about himself as a perfectly enlightened one. A perfectly enlightened one is an actual Buddha. He's the last known Buddha that the world is currently aware of that existed over 2,500 years ago. We refer to him as perfectly enlightened because he didn't have any teachers that guided him to enlightenment. And this person can attain perfect enlightenment because their mind isn't influenced by outside sources. They can attain enlightenment and they know the teachings inside and out, backwards and forwards. Their wisdom is very deep. It's almost like inventing the car. If you were interested to learn how to build a car, you might go to the person who invented the car. But if you went to like people who were you know, 500 times removed from the inventor of the car, maybe the wisdom isn't going to be as deep as the person who actually invented the car, for example. So a Buddha didn't invent enlightenment, but they are the discoverer, the declarer, and the originator of the path to enlightenment. So their wisdom is very deep and very profound. We call them perfectly enlightened. And additionally, we talk about him as being a teacher of heavenly beings and human beings, because these are the two realms that can actually attain enlightenment hell, animal realm, and afflicted spirits, those beings in the lower realms can actually attain enlightenment. So we talk about the Buddha as being a teacher of beings in the heavenly realm and human realm. Of course, he taught many, many humans, but there's also stories in the original text depicting him teaching heavenly beings who would come to him at different times in order to receive teachings. And then as I talk about his teachings at different times, I always explain how his teachings shouldn't be believed, that instead we investigate the teachings, we examine the teachings, we independently verify his teachings, and that's how we acquire wisdom. Well, here you can see when he talks about his own teachings, he says they're directly visible, immediate, inviting one to come and see, applicable, to be personally experienced by the wise. That's what he's saying. He's saying, don't just believe my teachings, but instead independently verify them so that you can see the truth for yourself and acquire wisdom. 
That's what he means by that. And he'll sometimes even use the word examine. He'll say, come examine my teachings, right? Because he's not interested in people believing his teachings because belief isn't going to lead to enlightenment. It's only when you acquire wisdom that it's going to actually produce enlightenment. And the only way you can acquire wisdom is by independently verifying the truth through examining the teachings. And he's explaining that, you know, come see, come do this. He's inviting you to come examine his teachings because he knows they lead to enlightenment. He's experiencing it himself. He knows that he no longer has any discontentedness. He knows he's a Buddha. So he's like, okay, come on, come look, come see for yourself. And he knows that if somebody has a sincere interest in learning, they can attain enlightenment through his teachings because he knows he's a perfectly enlightened one. And then on the community, he talks about these people who are practicing the wholesome way, practicing the straight way, practicing the true way, the proper way. Because remember, during his lifetime, there were multiple teachers who were claiming that it was their teachings that lead to enlightenment. And he knew that it, their teachings don't lead to enlightenment because he knew what it took to get to enlightenment and he could see that the other teachers' teachings don't lead to enlightenment. He didn't talk negatively or disparage those teachers, but he understood that it was his community that was practicing the wholesome way, the straight way, the true way, and the proper way. And he talks about these four pairs of persons, the eight types of individuals. He's going to discuss this at another part in the book. What this is, is there's the four stages of enlightenment, and then there's the four people who are practicing to attain one of those stages of enlightenment. So there's stream entry, and there's a person who's practicing to attain stream entry. There's one's returner, which is the second stage. And then there's a person who's currently a stream interner who's practicing to attain one's returner. And then there's non-returner, which is the third stage of enlightenment. And there's one's returners who are practicing to become a non-returner. And then there's arahants, that's the fourth stage of enlightenment. And there's people who are non-returners who are practicing to become arahants. These are the four pairs of individuals or the eight types of individuals. He's going to explain this later. And he's saying these are the people that are worthy of gifts, hospitality, offerings, respectful salutations, an unsurpassed field of merit for the world. Because if you make offerings to someone who's one of these eight types of individuals, then it's enormous amounts of merit for you that you're coming in contact with that individual who's in one of these four stages of enlightenment or practicing to attain one of these four stages of enlightenment. And by you making offerings to those people, it's actually helping you because you're coming in contact with those people. You're able to learn and gain wisdom from them, but it's also helping you to eliminate craving, desire, attachment as well. So he describes these eight types of individuals as the ones that we should be making offerings to. Because in the sea of all of these other teachers during his lifetime that were practicing certain teachings, they were collecting offerings from household practitioners too. And he was saying, okay, these are the types of people that you should be making offerings to as a way of supporting these teachings to come into the world and ensure they continue to propagate in the world. And then of course, we already talked about the virtues dear to the noble ones. What questions do you guys have on this chapter? A question in the picture. All right. So we'll move on to chapter three. A lot of explanations here for you to read. 
There we go. Who is the stream enterer? Second discourse. Don't be afraid, Mahanama. Don't be afraid, Mahanama. Your death will not be a bad one. Your demise will not be a bad one. A noble disciple who possesses four things, slants, slopes, and inclines towards Nibbana, enlightenment. What for? Here, Mahanama. One, a noble disciple possesses confirmed confidence in the Buddha, thus, the perfectly enlightened one is an arahant, perfectly enlightened, accomplished in true wisdom and conduct, fortunate, knower of the worlds, unsurpassed leader of persons to be tamed, teacher of heavenly beings and humans, the enlightened one, the fortunate one. Two, he possesses confirmed confidence in the teachings, thus, the teachings are well expounded by the perfectly enlightened one, directly visible, immediate, inviting one to come and see, applicable, to be personally experienced by the wise. Three, he possesses confirmed confidence in the community, thus, the community of the perfectly enlightened one's disciples is practicing the wholesome way, practicing the straight way, practicing the true way, practicing the proper way, that is, the four pairs of persons, the eight types of individuals. This community of the perfectly enlightened one's disciples is worthy of gifts, worthy of hospitality, worthy of offerings, worthy of respectful, respectful salutation, the unsurpassed field of merit for the world. Four, he possesses the virtues dear to the noble ones, unbroken, untorn, unblemished, unmotilled, freeing, praised by the wise, ungrasped, leading to concentration. Suppose Mahanama, a tree was slanting, sloping, and inclining, inclining towards the east. If it was cut down at its foot, in what direction would it fall? In whatever direction it was slanting, sloping, and inclining, venerable sayer. So too, Mahanama, a noble disciple who possesses these four things, slants, slopes, and inclines towards Nibbana, enlightenment. All right. Thank you, Basim. So the reason why we call this first stage of enlightenment as a stream enterer is that the Buddha talks about the ocean as being enlightenment itself. And he talks about this stream that goes to rivers and it continues to wider and wider and eventually gets to the ocean. And he talks about a log that travels along the stream and eventually makes it to the ocean. And he talks about in other teachings how this log can progress to the ocean if it doesn't get hung up along the way. And his teachings are helping you so that you don't get hung up along the way. So someone who is a stream enter and entered that first stage of enlightenment, they've entered the stream. They're gonna get to the ocean within seven births, but the idea would be to get there within this life. That would be what you would like to do is get to enlightenment in this life. And he talks about the eightfold path as being the stream, that once you've kind of soaked in the stream and you've really understand and are practicing deeply the eightfold path, now you're kind of ready and have entered the stream and now you've entered this 
first stage of enlightenment, but of course there's other criteria that are going to be exposed as part of this book. So keep that imagery in mind because when you see the Buddha talk about this slanting, sloping, and inclining, inclining is going upwards because that's how we think about enlightenment is going to a higher consciousness, right? Water will normally go downward and it'll continue to flow downward. But here we're talking about enlightenment moving to a higher consciousness. So that's why he's talking about an incline towards Nibbana, even though we're talking about a stream enterer and entering the stream. We don't typically think of water flowing uphill. But if you understand the analogy that the Buddha is going for, which is going towards this higher consciousness, then just kind of think about this log moving towards the ocean and moving towards this higher consciousness. And what he's saying is that if you have confirmed confidence in the Buddha, the teachings and the community, as well as this virtuous behavior, this moral conduct, then the mind is slanting, sloping and inclining towards enlightenment. And someone who has these four aspects of mind, confirmed confidence in the Buddha, the teachings, the community, and moral behavior, then they're going to be more likely to attain enlightenment because they're moving towards enlightenment by having these four things. What questions do you guys have on this one? Well, how can a practitioner develop more and more confidence in the Buddha teachings and the community? The more that you don't believe the teachings of the Buddha, you actually learn them through investigation. You reflect on them or contemplate them, kind of observe them in the world to see if they're true or not through independent verification. And through practicing his teachings and seeing the condition of the mind improve, this is how you build your confidence. Early in practice, when someone first starts out, I usually say that there probably is doubt and it's almost like a healthy doubt because you're kind of skeptical. There's this healthy skepticism when someone first starts practicing. And once you start practicing and you dive in and you start observing that more and more as you confirm the Buddhist teachings, you're seeing that you can independently verify his teachings are true, that starts building your confidence. And as you start practicing the teachings and you start seeing your discontentedness gradually diminish, this really helps to build your confidence in the Buddha, the teachings in the community, because the condition of the mind in your life is just gradually improving. So you get to see the results yourself. So this confidence that we're talking about in this removal of doubt that we're talking about in terms of the second fetter, we're not talking about blindly believing the Buddha and just saying, yeah, I don't doubt the Buddha. I believe his teachings. No, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about having real confidence because you've rolled up the sleeves. You investigated the teachings. You're seeing more and more that you're able to confirm and verify his teachings are true. And through your practice, you're seeing the condition of the mind improve as the discontentedness gradually diminishes. This is what increases your confidence in the Buddha, the teachings in the community, and helps you to erode and then eventually eliminate that fetter of doubt. Well, thanks, teacher. No more questions. All right. So we'll go to chapter four. Let's, let's go to Miranda. A stream enterer possesses the Noble Eightfold Path. Sataputta, it is said, a stream enterer, a stream enterer. What now, Sataputta, is a stream enterer? One who possesses this noble eightfold path, venerable sir, is called a stream enterer, this venerable one of such a name and plan. 
Good, good, Sarputa. One who possesses this noble eightfold path is a stream entrer. This venerable one of such a name and clan. Okay, thanks, Miranda. So here, this is what we were just talking about, actually, about in order to get to stream entry, one would need to have a deep understanding of the Eightfold Path. They're not perfecting it yet. They haven't perfected the Eightfold Path. But what the Buddha is saying here is one who possesses. What he means is one who understands the Eightfold Path. So you would need to understand it and be practicing it to a certain level of degree just to get into the jhanas. And then you would continue to develop your practice of the Eightfold Path more and more and more. You haven't perfected the Eightfold Path yet, but you're surely practicing it really, really well, and you definitely understand it very deeply. That's what the Buddha is talking about here. And this would help you to eliminate that fetter of wrong observances and wrong behaviors. So that third fetter of wrong observances and wrong behaviors or wrong behaviors and wrong observances, that's how you do that is that third fetter is all about eliminating from the mind the belief that it's rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship that will help you get to enlightenment. You need to eliminate that from the mind. If you think that rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship are going to produce enlightenment, then the mind is still deluded. It has ignorance or this unknowing of true reality because you can't worship your way to enlightenment. You can't have ceremonies or rites or rituals to get to enlightenment. It requires deep investigation of the teachings to learn, reflect, and practice. And you'll get to see this more and more as we get into this book where the Buddha talks about eliminating ignorance or the unknowing of true reality through acquiring wisdom in order to get to enlightenment. And as part of that wrong behaviors and wrong observances that you need to eliminate, it's the Eightfold Path that is going to help you to improve your behavior, so to speak, and in practice good moral conduct. So here, this is just a very short teaching to Sariputta, which is one of the Buddha's closest, closest, closest students. He identified Sariputta as being a very, very, very close student. So in order to progress on this path, you would need to have this practice of the Eightfold Path understood, and then you're constantly refining it more and more and more as you progress through the jhanas and into the various stages of enlightenment. And it's not actually perfected until you actually get to the fourth stage of enlightenment. That's where you will have the Eightfold Path fully 100% perfected. So that mean that practicing rites and rituals will hinder If the mind believes that it's those rites or rituals that are going to lead to enlightenment, yes. But for example, if somebody deeply knows that these rites or rituals aren't going to lead to enlightenment, but they go in somewhere and they just kind of do it, it's not going to hinder them. But a person who deeply knows that rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship aren't going to lead to enlightenment, they most likely are going to perform or participate in rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship either. But if somebody deeply understands that and they just happen to go in and actually do some of those things, it's not going to hinder them necessarily from that standpoint. One thing I would like to say while we're here, and we're talking about the Eightfold Path and understanding it versus perfecting it. So in the Buddhist teachings about that third fetter of wrong 
behaviors and wrong observances. And here you see him talking about possessing the Eightfold Path. So in order to get rid of wrong observances and wrong behaviors, yes, you need to eliminate the belief that it's rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship that are going to lead you to enlightenment. You need to eliminate that from the mind 100%. And you need to understand the Eightfold Path and a person who's a stream enterer, they will have developed the Eightfold Path to a level of degree, not perfecting it, but to a level of degree that they wouldn't do anything that would cause rebirth into the lower realms. So for example, in the Eightfold Path, there's the five precepts. In the five precepts, one of those is like killing a living being. And we know that if we kill living beings, if we steal, if we have sexual misconduct, these are some of the things that lead to rebirth in the lower realms. A stream enterer would be incapable of performing a action like killing a living being, like stealing, like having sexual misconduct, because they know that those things lead to rebirth in the lower realms, so they just won't do it. So they might not be perfecting right speech, for example. That's what happened as they get closer to enlightenment. This stream understands the Eightfold Path, and they're not going to do anything that would lead to rebirth in the lower realms, but they're still not fully developed in the Eightfold Path where they might still be practicing wrong speech occasionally, for example. But that by itself isn't going to lead to rebirth in the lower realms. So this is the distinction that eliminating that fetter of wrong observances or wrong behaviors is that they've significantly improved their moral conduct where they're not going to do any kind of moral conduct that would lead to rebirth in the lower realms, but they're still practicing wrong speech here and there because a stream still has the fetter of ill will in the mind. They still have anger. They still have hatred, they still have ill will. So there's still going to be some polluted aspects of their mind because they haven't eliminated all 10 fetters yet. So you're still going to see in a stream enter things like wrong speech occasionally, but they will have cleaned up their conduct such that they're not doing any of the real major things that would lead to rebirth in a lower realm. Thanks, teacher. No more questions. All right. So now we go to chapter five. Eliminating the five dangers and hostiles as a stream enterer. Householder, when a noble disciple has eliminated five dangers and hostiles, possesses the four factors of stream entry and has clearly seen and thoroughly penetrated with wisdom the noble method, he might, if he so aspires, declare of himself, I am one finished with hell, the animal realm, and the realm of afflicted spirits, finished with the plane of misery, the bad destination, the lower world. I am a stream enterer, no longer subject to rebirth in the lower world, fixed in destiny, heading for enlightenment. What are the five dangers and hostiles that have been eliminated? One, householder, one who destroys life with the destruction of life as condition creates danger and hostility pertaining to the present life and danger and hostility pertaining to future lives. And he also experiences mental pain and sadness. One who abstains from the destruction of life does not create such danger and hostility pertaining to the present life 
or such danger and austerity pertaining to future lives, nor does he experience pain and sadness. For one who abstains from the destruction of life, that danger and austerity has thus been eliminated. Two, one who takes what is not given, with taking what is not given as condition, creates danger and austerity pertaining to the present life and danger and austerity pertaining to future lives. And he also experiences mental pain and sadness. One who abstains from taking what is not given does not create such danger and austerity pertaining to the present life or such danger and austerity pertaining to future lives. Nor does he experience mental pain and sadness. For one who abstains from taking what is not given, the danger and austerity has thus been eliminated. Three, one who engages in sexual misconduct with sexual misconduct as condition creates danger and austerity pertaining to the present life and danger and austerity pertaining to future lives. And he also experiences mental pain and sadness. One who abstains from sexual misconduct does not create such danger and austerity pertaining to the present life or such danger and austerity pertaining to future lives. Nor does he experience mental pain and sadness. For one who abstains from sexual misconduct, the danger and austerity has thus been eliminated. Four, one who speaks falsely with false speech as condition creates danger and austerity. You can skip over that, uh, Bassam, since it's repeated so many times. Yeah. <laughs> okay, five, one who indulges in liquor, wine, and substances that cause an awareness of mind, the basis of hideousness. These are the five dangers and hostiles that have been eliminated. And what are the four factors of stream entry that he possesses? One, here householder, a noble disciple possesses unwavering confidence in the Buddha. Thus, the perfectly enlightened one is an arahant, perfectly enlightened, accomplished in true wisdom and conduct, fortunate, knower of the worlds, unsurpassed trainer of persons to be tamed, teacher of heavenly beings and humans, the enlightened one, the fortunate one. Two, he possesses unwavering confidence in the teachings. Three, he possesses unwavering confidence in the community. Four, he possesses the virtuous behavior, practicing moral conduct, admired by the noble ones, unbroken, flawless, unblemished, unbleached, freeing, praised by the wise, ungrasped, leading to concentration. These are the four factors of stream entry that he possesses. And what is the noble method that he has clearly seen and thoroughly penetrated with wisdom? Here, householder, the noble disciple reflects thus, when this exists, that comes to be. With the arising of this, that arises. When this does not exist, that doesn't come to be. With the elimination of this, that is eliminated. That is, with ignorance as condition, volition affirmations, choice decisions come to be. With volition affirmation as condition, consciousness. With consciousness as condition, name and form. With name and form as condition, 
the six sense bases with the six sense bases as condition contact with contact as condition feeling with feeling as condition craving with craving as condition clinging with clinging as condition existence with existence as condition birth with birth as condition old age and death sorrow grief pain sadness and misery come to be such is the cause of this whole mass of discontentedness but with the remainderness fading away and elimination of ignorance comes elimination of volitional formations choices decisions this is a noble method that he has clearly seen and thoroughly penetrated with wisdom householder when a noble disciple has eliminated these five dangers and hostiles and he possesses these four factors of stream entry and he has clearly seen and thoroughly penetrated with wisdom this noble method he might if he so aspires declare of himself i am one finished with hell the animal realm and the realm of afflicted spirits finished with the plane of misery the bad destination the lower world i am a stream enter no longer subject to rebirth in the lower world fixed in destiny heading for enlightenment okay thank you Basam. now you can really have confidence in the buddha that he had the ability to speak all of this from his memory <laughs> right all right so here we are the buddha is talking about what i was just speaking about earlier about how a stream enter will be deeply practicing the five precepts right those five precepts are the basics in terms of moral conduct and then those move into the full path so the five dangers and hostilities that the buddha is talking about here that are eliminated from a stream enter is that they are deeply practicing the five precepts that would be a bare bones minimum of someone who is moving into stream entries they would be practicing those but the buddha talks in this first paragraph about having thoroughly penetrated with wisdom the noble method here what he's talking about is dependent origination this is what you're going to be learning in this book in chapter 14 so next week you'll be learning dependent origination and we'll be discussing it dependent origination is the ultimate truth of how beings are coming into this world through the cycle of rebirth and it explains why beings experience discontentedness it's 12 individual steps that the buddha talks about one by one by one of one leading to the next to the next to the next in order to attain stream entry a practitioner would need to thoroughly penetrate dependent origination understanding that and knowing that really really well they haven't completely attained enlightenment which would be kind of the unraveling of dependent origination or the elimination of that but they deeply understand it as a stream enter because understanding dependent origination is what's going to get you the rest of the way to enlightenment so it's at this point that someone starts focusing on dependent origination and that's why one of the things i was saying is that in the first part of someone's practice they should really be focused on those three universal truths the four noble truths the eightfold path the five precepts all those other things that i talked about because you've got to have all of that under your belt with a really solid foundation before you can start focusing on something like dependent origination and once somebody understands dependent origination then they have the wisdom on board that they need to actually unravel it 
because dependent origination starts with ignorance or the unknowing of true reality and it ends with discontentedness essentially is what it ends with and it's through this multi-step truth that the buddha explains the origination of discontentedness and the origination of rebirth which is dependent on these 12 factors leading one to the other so once somebody thoroughly understands this and penetrates dependent origination the buddha say okay that's one of the aspects of attaining this stream entry is that somebody will need to understand dependent origination along with everything else that he's teaching us in this book as well and he's saying once you understand that along with everything else that he's going to share with you in this book then you can consider yourself a stream enter and there's a lot of other things that you need to learn in addition to dependent origination that's why there's this one book that focuses on helping you build up that wisdom and that understanding and here he talks about the five hostilities which is the five precepts eliminating those and he gives you the reasons why and then he comes back to the four factors of stream entry which are confirmed confidence in the buddha the teachings the community as well as the virtuous behavior so those things taken together with the understanding of dependent origination you're going to see here the five aggregates the six sense spaces the elimination of the first three fetters and a whole bunch of other things a person can actually attain stream entry in this life so questions on this particular chapter yes teacher Rand has a question she says sir could you please clarify when it is said not experiencing mental pain and sadness is that pertaining to mental pain and sadness caused by doing those things such as taking life there is still some discontentedness in the stage of stream entry correct yes a stream enter is still going to be experiencing discontentedness even the third stage of enlightenment as a non-returner is going to still be experiencing some mild discontentedness but it will in this stage the first stage will be significantly decreased so yes this is saying that on this particular aspect you're not going to experience any mental pain and sadness as it relates to destroying life or stealing or sexual misconduct and so forth and so on but also the other way that you should read this is that think about the painful feelings or even discontentedness as a whole pleasant feelings painful feelings and neither painful nor pleasant think of it as a spectrum and that over here like a level 10 is like rage anger like extreme intense sadness depression mental pain right that's over here like a 10 and over here like a number one is kind of like eh, it kind of annoys me a little bit you know this thing annoys me a little bit and then there's all these levels in between and what the buddha is saying is that a stream enter is not going to experience this 10 not just related to these particular topics but they're not going to experience a 10 they're not going to experience intense anger they're not going to experience rage they're not going to also experience this intense excitement and exhilaration right and extreme thrill this high condition of pleasant feelings they're also not going to experience this despair and deep loneliness those neither painful nor pleasant feelings they're not going to be experiencing those tens right the discontentedness has been diminished 
So that's what he's explaining here is that a streamitzer is not going to experience mental pain and sadness because those are like the level 10 on this spectrum. Their dyskinetics will have diminished. Thanks, Richard. No more questions. All right. So number six. Here we go. That's what I was just mentioning. <laughs> a stream enter understands the five aggregates. When monks, a noble disciple, understands as they really are, the cause and the passing away, the gratification, the danger, and the escape in the case of these five aggregates, subject to clinging, monks, then he is called a noble disciple who is a stream enterer, no longer bound to the nether world, fixed in destiny, with enlightenment as his destination. Okay, thank you, Bassam. So essentially what you're getting here and that you're going to get throughout this book is you're going to get essentially a checklist of all the things that a stream enterer needs to accomplish in order to actually get to stream entry. And there's a certain amount of intellectual learning, there's a certain amount of reflection, and there's a certain amount of practice that one needs to go forward with in order to attain stream entry. So here the Buddha is sharing with you that a stream enterer will understand the five aggregates, that they will understand the cause, the passing away. This is the impermanent nature of the five aggregates. The gratification, this is the pleasant feelings by holding on to these five aggregates, how the mind experiences these pleasant feelings or gratification. Also the danger that if you cling to these five aggregates, the painful feelings that's going to come as a result of clinging to these five aggregates. And the escape, the escape is always the eightfold path. That's the way to eliminate the discontentedness. This is the escape in order to train the mind to escape the clinging to the five aggregates. The five aggregates are explained here in my explanation. These are the form, feelings, perceptions, volitional formations, and consciousness. These are what makes a living being a being. There's this physical form, which is the physical body. There's the feelings that are a result of experiences that come into the mind through the six sense bases. There's the perceptions. The perceptions is how one has certain beliefs or certain opinions based on how things seem. So one's perception may or may not be true. And there's volitional formations or our choices and decisions. And then there's the consciousness, the mind itself. So if you think about this being who you are right now, there's this physical form, which is the bones, the skin, the fingernails, the hair, all of these things. And then there's this mind or consciousness that has come together for this existence. And in this existence, you experience these feelings that come into the mind, right? Based on the six sense bases, you see certain things, you hear certain things, you smell certain things, you taste certain things, you have certain physical objects that touch the body and there's certain mental objects that arise either pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. That's a feeling. And then there's this perceptions, these things of how you believe or certain opinions that you have about things in the world and things that you see, things that you that are going on in your life. And then there's certain choices and decisions that you make as a result of 
certain thoughts that you have and certain perceptions and feelings. You make certain choices or you have certain volitional formations. And what the Buddha teaches as part of his Four Noble Truths is that by clinging to any of these things, that it's going to cause you discontentedness. So if you cling, if you try to hold on to this physical form, wanting it to be permanent, then when you age, it's going to cause discontentedness because you're holding on perhaps to this youthful appearance or you're holding on to this physical body. So then if maybe you have to have an amputation, you feel like lesser of a person because you don't have an arm or a leg or some other aspect of the body. So if you hold on to this physical body, clinging to this form, this five aggregates or this collection, this element, if you hold on to this physical body, it's going to cause discontentedness in the mind. Same thing if you hold on or you cling to the feelings in the mind. You experience something and then there's feelings that come into the mind. If you try to cling and hold on to those feelings, it's going to create continued discontentedness in the mind. Or if there's a certain perception or belief or opinion that you have and you cling to that, it could be a false perception, a misperception. It could be inaccurate information. And if you cling to that, the Buddha is saying by clinging to your perceptions, it's going to cause discontentedness. One of the things you can reflect on is if you yourself or other people have ever been involved in like political discussions, then you see people have certain beliefs and certain opinions. They cling to those perceptions and then it creates all this discontentedness, all this arguing, all this unskillful speech that comes from clinging to their perception of a belief and opinion. Or if you have certain volitional formations, certain choices or decisions that you make, and you try to hold on and cling to these decisions, being unwilling to be flexible and let go of certain decisions and move towards another decision, maybe an improved decision, then it's going to cause discontentedness if you try to cling and hold on to your volitional formations or your choices or decisions. Same thing if you try to hold on to this consciousness this mind is going to create discontentedness. So what the Buddha teaches as part of the Four Noble Truths is not to cling to these things because it's only going to cause discontentedness. And in order to get to the stage of a stream enter, you would need to know what these five aggregates are and you would need to know that they're impermanent. That's the reason why clinging to them causes discontentedness. Because if you cling and try to hold on to these five aggregates permanently, they're impermanent, they're constantly changing. So when they start changing, then it's going to cause discontentedness. So when the physical body, the form aggregate starts to change, then it's going to cause discontentedness. Or if you experience these pleasant feelings in the mind and you cling to that and hold on to that, and you want that to be permanent, when those fade away, you're going to continue to experience more discontentedness. And we could go through all the rest of these. So what the Buddha is saying here is that you need to understand that all these five aggregates are impermanent because they arise and they pass away. Understand that by clinging to them, this is the mind wanting pleasant feelings, wanting that gratification. Understand the danger that if you do cling to these five aggregates, it's going to create pleasant feelings, painful feelings, feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, and then understand the escape from these five aggregates, which is to eliminate the clinging of the mind. And the way that you do that 
is through the Eightfold Path. You train the mind to no longer have craving and clinging, for example. Craving is where the mind has this longing for something with a strong eagerness. Clinging is where you're holding on to it really tightly. So the mind will crave certain things with a mental longing and strong eagerness, and then it will cling and try to hold on to those things. And the Buddha is saying the escape from all of this to get rid of the discontentedness is to understand these five aggregates and then work towards eliminating the clinging through the Eightfold Path, practicing things like right effort, right mindfulness, or right concentration, for example, along with all the other aspects of the Eightfold Path. So let me see what questions you guys have on this chapter. No question, I understand, teacher. All right. So be sure you deeply understand those five aggregates and get any help that you might need with those. Let's go to Miranda. A stream enterer understands the six, six sense bases. Monks, there are these six sense bases. What six? The eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, the mind. When monks, a noble disciple understands as they really are, the gratification, the danger, and the escape in the case of these six sense bases, then he is called a noble disciple who is a stream enterer, no longer bound to the nether world, fixed in destiny with Nibbana enlightenment as his destination. All right, thanks, Miranda. So what the Buddha is really doing here in terms of what he's sharing is something that a stream enter is going to need is he's really setting you up for the second stage of enlightenment in the third stage and the fourth stage. One stage leads to another. So this stream enter, not only are they going to understand the five aggregates, a stream enter is still clinging to the five aggregates, but they need to at least understand what they are and they need to understand that gratification, the danger and the escape because in order to move from the first stage of enlightenment through the rest of the stages of enlightenment, they're going to have to eliminate their clinging. The same thing here, the Buddha is setting up a stream are saying, you need to understand what the six sense bases are, knowing their gratification, their danger, and their escape. So a stream is still going to be having craving and clinging through the six sense bases. They still have the fetter of central desire, but in order to attain stream entry from that point forward, you're going to then start working on eradicating something like central desire in order to move to the second, third stage of enlightenment. So what he's doing here is he's saying in order to attain this first stage, you will have to know these six sense bases because from this point forward, once you're a stream enter the first stage of enlightenment, you're going to need to eradicate central desire as you decide to move forward. So here, the six sense bases are the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body, the physical body, and the mind. These are what we call the internal sense bases. Then there's the external sense base. The external sense base are connected to the internal sense bases. So for example, the eye sees a physical form. So the form is the external sense base. The ear hears a sound. The sound is the external sense base. The nose smells an odor. The odor is the external sense base. The tongue is the internal sense base. The flavor is the external sense base. The body is the internal sense base. 
physical objects that touch and come in contact with the body is the external sense base, the physical objects. And then the mind is the internal sense base and the external sense base is mental objects, right? Even though that's still inside the mind, we call it an external sense base. So a stream answer is gonna understand these. They haven't yet eliminated central desire, but they at least understand that these are what they are. And the problem that the Buddha discusses as part of the Four Noble Truths, and he discusses at other parts of his teachings like dependent origination and others, What's causing discontentedness is the mind is longing, it's craving through these six sense bases. The I wants, craves, desires agreeable forms. And now when it sees those agreeable forms, then there's these pleasant feelings arise. An agreeable form might be a handsome man or a beautiful woman or a big beautiful house that you have a desire for or it might be a new pair of shoes something you see with your eyes that the mind wants and when it sees that then it arises these pleasant feelings because it's agreeable form but then when it sees these disagreeable forms that's when the painful feelings arise so if you have this longing for a red shiny sports car and when you see that it arises these pleasant feelings then you go back to your car and it's not that red shiny sports car you see this disagreeable thing through the eyes now the mind has painful feelings sadness anger frustration and there's countless things that we see that the mind is longing for the agreeable because it's chasing after the objects of its affection to get those pleasant feelings but then the problem is is that when it experiences the disagreeable that's when the painful feelings come in and then the same thing with all these other sense bases, that the ear longs for agreeable sounds, but when it hears disagreeable sounds, it gets frustrated and irritable and annoyed. But when it hears those agreeable sounds, it gets all these pleasant feelings. So when you hear somebody say something that is complimentary to you, oh, I feel so good because they know I'm a good person, or they tell me I'm smart, or they told me I'm beautiful, I heard these amazing things, these agreeable things, and all these pleasant feelings arise in the mind. But then when you hear disparaging things, then you experience these painful feelings because it's disagreeable sounds. Or you hear music that you like because you listen to music all the time, and that's agreeable to you. So you get these pleasant feelings. But then when you hear your neighbor's music, which you don't like, now that's disagreeable and the mind becomes discontent because of the sound that it's hearing. Same thing with all these others. The odors, agreeable, produces pleasant feelings. Disagreeable produces painful feelings. The flavors that come through the tongue, agreeable, it's going to arise pleasant feelings. Disagreeable is going to arise painful feelings. Physical objects to the body, agreeable, pleasant feelings. Disagreeable is going to have painful feelings. And then the same thing with the mind, agreeable, Mental objects are going to arise pleasant feelings. Disagreeable mental objects are going to arise painful feelings. And this is why when you experience anything through these six sense spaces and you feel those bodily sensations that pleasant feelings are starting to arise, you cut that off and let it go so that you don't allow the mind to indulge 
unconditioned pleasant feelings. Because as long as the mind is conditioning its feelings on some impermanent condition coming through these six sense bases, it's wanting this agreeable form, sound, odor, flavor, physical object, or mental object. And as long as it's getting something agreeable, pleasant feelings. But as long as you allow that to happen, it's only a matter of time before that stuff is impermanent. And now there's disagreeable things, disagreeable contact through these six sense bases. And now the mind's going to experience painful feelings. So when you observe the mind arising these conditioned pleasant feelings that's coming in through these six sense bases, you cut it off and cut it off and cut it off in daily life so that you train the mind to no longer base its inner feelings on some conditioned experience, some impermanent condition. And when you train the mind to no longer base its inner feelings for pleasant feelings on things that are coming through these six sense bases, then it will also be trained to no longer base its inner feelings on disagreeable contact through these six sense bases. And then you won't experience painful feelings either. So it's very odd for a practitioner to say, hold on a second, you mean I'm going to be cutting off pleasant feelings? Isn't that what life is all about? Like chasing after those pleasant feelings and experiencing that happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria. Life can be enjoyable, but the problem that the unenlightened mind is experiencing is it's basing its pleasant feelings on some impermanent condition. So therefore, the happiness is not permanent. So it's dissatisfying. It's displeasurable. And as long as we allow the mind to base its inner feelings on this impermanent condition arising these pleasant feelings, it's only a matter of time before these painful feelings come into the mind based on this disagreeable contact. So if you allow the mind to indulge in this impermanent condition that's arising these impermanent pleasant feelings, then it's only a matter of time before those conditions are impermanent and the mind experiences these painful feelings. So in order to get to permanent contentedness, permanent peacefulness, and permanent joy, the mind has to be willing to let go of these temporary pleasant feelings. And you have to be willing to cut that off and let it go and bring the mind to the middle where now it's no longer basing its inner feelings on these impermanent conditions. So you will have eradicated these temporary pleasant feelings. You will have eradicated these temporary painful feelings. But what you will have instead is a completely purified mind that is experiencing permanent joy, permanent, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because the mind is no longer basing its inner feelings on these impermanent conditions that are being experienced through contact of these six sense bases. So the Buddha is saying you need to understand this as part of coming into stream entry. You won't have perfected it because you still have central desire as a stream enter, but you will at least understand the six sense bases and how all of this works because ultimately once you attain stream entry, now that you've eradicated the three lower fetters, now you're going to start working on the next two, which is fetter four and five. Fetter four is the central desire. So you'll start thinning that one. And in order to do that, 
you would need to know these six sense bases as I'm explaining it to you here and as I explain in these books. Questions on this chapter? Yes, teacher. Uh, does this mean that a stream enterer doesn't need necessarily to work on eliminating sensual desires unless one has attained the first stage of enlightenment? It's always wise to be working on sensual desires because all discontentedness is coming in through the six sense bases. And it's wise anytime you see pleasant feelings to arise is to cut those off and let those go. So that's what's going to help you get even into the jhanas. So you learn about the arising pleasant feelings and the bodily sensations associated with that. You learn that as part of the Eightfold Path and you learn as part of right effort, right mindfulness and right concentration to cut those pleasant feelings off and let them go. And by doing that, you start distancing the mind from central desire. And that's how you ultimately get into the jhanas. And in the jhanas, then you need to continually be working on eliminating central desire. So to answer your question directly, no, you should always be working to eliminate central desire. But understand that you are learning that as part of the Eightfold Path. It's just not maybe being explained to you as deeply as you need to understand here once you get to the first stage of enlightenment. Once you get to this first stage of enlightenment, this is where the covers really get pulled back on the Buddhist teachings and you start seeing what's really inside of this Eightfold Path and why he taught it the way that he did. And you're really pulling back the layers to get deeper and deeper into his teachings. Thanks, teacher. No more question. Yep. All right. So now chapter eight. Two kinds of stream entering. A confident stream entering. Monks. The eye is impermanent, changing, becoming otherwise. The ear is impermanent, changing, becoming otherwise. The nose is impermanent, changing, becoming otherwise. The tongue is impermanent, changing, becoming otherwise. The body is impermanent, changing, becoming otherwise. The mind is impermanent, changing, becoming otherwise. One who places confidence in these teachings and persistent in them, thus is called a confident stream entry, one who has entered the fixed course of rightness, entered the plane of wholesome persons, transcended the plane of the worldings. He is incapable of doing any deed by reason of which he might be reborn in hell, in the animal realm, or in the, in the realm of afflicted spirits. He is incapable of passing away without having realized the fruit of stream entry. A teaching stream entry, one for whom these teachings are understood. Thus, after being pounded to a sufficient degree with wisdom, is called a teaching stream entry. One who has entered the fixed course of rightness, entered the plane of wholesome persons, transcended the plane of worldings. He is incapable of doing any deed by reason of which he might be reborn in hell. In the animal realm, or in the realm of afflicted spirits, he is incapable of passing away without having realized the fruit of stream entry. All right. Thank you, Bassam. So here we get insight into the two different types of stream entry. And during the lifetime of the Buddha, he understood these teachings deeper than anyone anywhere. He deeply understood these teachings and had different ways 
of determining not only if you were a stream enterer, but different types of stream entry. And that's what he's explaining here is two different types of stream enterers. I don't suggest that you need to understand this level of detail or try to classify yourself of what type of stream entry you are. Just getting to stream entry is a wonderful accomplishment. The goal is to ultimately get to enlightenment, but you shouldn't feel the need to deeply dissect this teaching because it's not necessarily something that you're going to absolutely need in order to get to stream entry. Focus on all the different teachings in order to get the stream entry rather than trying to figure out and classify what type of stream entry you are. But here you can take away some things from this teaching where the Buddha is saying, okay, a stream enter understands the six sense spaces are impermanent. That's what this whole first paragraph is saying, is that if you understand the six sense spaces are impermanent, then okay, that's part of being a confident stream enter, is understanding the six sense spaces are impermanent. Then having confidence in the teachings, right? One who has confidence in the teachings, persists in them, is called a confident stream enter. That's what he's saying to that point. And he's saying, okay, once you enter into being a stream enter, you are now on this fixed course of rightness, meaning you will attain enlightenment within the next seven rebirths. And then he says, someone who's a stream enter is someone who's incapable of doing any deed to be reborn in the lower realms. This is what I was saying earlier. This teaching stream enter is one who understands the teachings after being pondered to a sufficient degree, right? So this is another aspect. I don't say that you should do one or the other. What I'm sharing is be sure you do all of these things, is that be sure that you're learning and examining the teachings. And when he says pondering, that's how I use the word reflect, that you learn, reflect, and practice the teachings. So in order to reflect or ponder, you would need to do that or independently verify the teachings in order to acquire this wisdom that the Buddha is talking about. That's how you get to stream entry and then also ultimately how you get to enlightenment itself. And then the same thing here, he's saying a teaching stream enter would be incapable of doing anything that would cause rebirth in the lower realms. So what questions do you guys have on this chapter? No question, this time, teacher. All right. So let's go to chapter nine. Fruit of stream entry. One who knows and sees these teachings as described in two kinds of stream entering. Thus is called a stream enterer, no longer bound to the other world, fixed in destiny with enlightenment as his destination. Sariputta, this noble eightfold, eightfold path is a stream that is right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. All right, so here he's just explaining the benefit of stream entry just a little bit, saying that you know one who knows and sees these teachings, meaning one who's independently verified these teachings, is one who's called a stream enter. Just very basic, very simple. No longer bound to the lower realms, the netherworld. You know, fixed in destination in terms of attaining enlightenment within seven rebirths. And this stream enter is one who's entered the stream, which here you see that it's caused the Eightfold Path, the stream. And then he just lays out what that Eightfold Path is. So this is just a very simple teaching, just kind of hitting on a few little points. 
Any questions on this particular teaching? Yes, teacher. Uh, as for the idea that a stream enterer will attain enlightenment at a, a maximum of seven future lives, does this mean that a stream enterer will not need to do or to apply any effort to attain enlightenment after getting to the first stage of enlightenment? That's not true. They would still need to apply effort and energy. Getting to the first stage of enlightenment is helpful, it's beneficial, but it's not like it's a cakewalk from there. But instead, getting into the first stage of enlightenment, you've done all the preliminary work that you really need to do that now you can really deeply practice in order to get to enlightenment. You've got all the base level knowledge, all the foundational knowledge, and all the knowledge that you should need in terms of making your effort towards enlightenment. You haven't yet acquired all the wisdom that you need yet. You haven't cleaned up your practice all the way to get to enlightenment. But at this first stage of enlightenment, you've acquired a significant amount of wisdom in order to kind of make it the rest of the way to the finish line, so to speak, even though I don't think of enlightenment as a finish line. But it's not a cakewalk. It's not easy. There's still effort and energy there that needs to be applied. You still need to have dedication, determination, and diligence in order to further progress. And while it's not easy, it's not difficult either. For someone who's made their way to stream entry, for sure, they would have access to the teachings in terms of they would have the teachings the way that I share with you in these books and podcasts and videos and things like this. They would also have a teacher that would have helped them get to that first stage of enlightenment. You would be unable to progress to the first stage of enlightenment without having the words of the Buddha and without having a teacher. You're not going to just stumble into the first stage of enlightenment. But then from there, having all the needed things around you to have progressed to the point where you've attained stream entry, then you should be able to make your way the rest of the journey if you continue to apply dedication, determination, and diligence. It's not guaranteed that you will attain enlightenment in this life if you've attained stream entry. There's still work and effort that needs to be applied, but you should have all the things you need around you in order to continue to make your journey forward. Thanks, Richard. No more question. All right. So now we go to the last chapter for today, which is chapter 10. Let's go to Miranda. The stream enters who fills virtuous behavior but cultivates concentration and wisdom only to a moderate extent. Months. Every half month, more than 150 training guidelines come up for recitation. Clansmen who aspire for their own good train in these. These are all comprised within these three trainings. What three? The training in the higher virtuous behavior, moral conduct. The training in the higher mind, mental discipline. And the training in the higher wisdom. These are the three trainings in which all of this is comprised. Here months, a monk fulfills virtuous behavior, moral conduct but cultivates concentration and wisdom only to a moderate extent. He falls into wrongdoing in regard to the lesser and minor training guidelines and rehabilitates himself. For what reason? Because I have not said that he is incapable of this, but in regard to those training guidelines that are fundamental to the spiritual life, in practicing with the spiritual life, his behavior is constant and steadfast. Having undertaken the training guidelines, he trains in them. 
With the complete destruction of the three fetters, he is a stream enterer, no longer subject to rebirth in the lower world, fixed in destiny with enlightenment as his destination. Perfect. Thank you, Miranda. So here, I'm going to walk you through this piece by piece. Here, the title, the stream enterer fulfills virtuous behavior, meaning they have moral conduct. They're practicing the five precepts and they're practicing the aspects of the Eightfold Path that relate to moral conduct, but cultivates concentration and wisdom only to a moderate extent. So that upper part of the Eightfold Path that relates to mental discipline, their mind isn't fully cultivated and fully concentrated, but only to a modest extent. And they still have some wisdom, but not full what the Buddha calls final knowledge. Final knowledge would be an enlightened being, but here a stream answer only has wisdom to a moderate extent. So the Buddha is talking here in this first paragraph that every two weeks, essentially, he had his practitioners reciting 150 guidelines as part of the training because during his lifetime, it was an oral tradition. So the only way to ensure that the teachings continued was to have them recite them every two weeks to remember his discourses word for word for word. So every two weeks, people would recite his teachings, 150 training guidelines. And that's how they remembered the teachings. And he said that, okay, out of these 150 training guidelines, they all kind of bubble up to these three things. These three things are training in the higher virtuous behavior, which is the moral conduct of the Eightfold Path, which is that right speech, right action, right livelihood. The training in the higher mind, which is the mental discipline of the Eightfold Path, which is right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And then the training in the higher wisdom, which is right view and right intention, that lower part of the Eightfold Path. So here he's saying this is how you make your way to the first stage of enlightenment is through practicing the full path. And he identifies it as these three subcategories rather than the individual steps of the Eightfold Path like he does in some other teachings. So here he's just referring to the Eightfold Path in a different way, more from a high level versus a detailed level. Then he talks about how a student who is a stream enter fulfills the virtuous behavior of this moral conduct, which is part of that right speech, right action, right livelihood, but only cultivates concentration and wisdom to a modest extent. Here he says, when he falls into wrongdoing, that's like, okay, I, you slip up and you don't practice right speech 100%, or you do something else that is kind of like a minor wrongdoing. He says, you know, he falls into a wrongdoing in regard to the lesser and minor training guidelines. So a stream answer isn't going to go out and kill a living being. That's a significant thing. But they might slip up with their speech and they might not speak at the right time or they might not speak something gently or they might not speak beneficially or with a mind of loving kindness, for example. But the Buddha says, okay, this stream enterer, they will have moderate amount of wisdom. They will have a moderate amount of concentration so they can rehabilitate themselves. They can observe that, ah, I slipped up on right speech. Let me make that better. So the Buddha is saying here that when he falls into wrongdoing in regard to the lesser and minor training guidelines, he rehabilitates himself, meaning you pick yourself up, 
you observe what you've done wrong and you move forward and aim to improve that conduct going forward or whatever part of your practice slipped up, then you observe that and you rehabilitate yourself. You make it better for the future. And then the Buddha says, because I have not said that he is incapable of this. So he's saying that a stream minister is capable of rehabilitating himself. But in regards to those training guidelines that are fundamental to the spiritual life and practicing with the spiritual life, his behavior is constant and steadfast, meaning that the primary aspects of the Eightfold Path, the major aspects like those five precepts, he's constant and steadfast in those, right? He has, having undertaken the training guidelines, he trains in them. And he's very consistent with those. And then he says, okay, when this person has completely destroyed or eliminated the three fetters, that's the first, second, and third fetter, personal existence view, doubt, and wrong observances and wrong behaviors, he's saying, okay, this person is a stream enterer, no longer subject to the being reborn in the lower world. He's not going to be reborn in hell animal realm or afflicted spirits, he's fixed in destination because a maximum of seven rebirths, he will attain enlightenment or she will attain enlightenment. This practitioner, this student who's a stream enter will attain enlightenment in a maximum of seven rebirths. And he makes that even more clear in other teachings that you're going to see in this book. So what questions do you guys have on this chapter? No more questions for the teacher. All right. I would like to just thank all of you guys for your dedication to learning this far in the program and really diving into volume five. This is, as I've shared before, a big step in your development of your life practice. There's a lot of really important teachings in this book. As we move forward from chapters one through 10, this next set of chapters you're going to get into chapter 14, which is about dependent origination. This is a chapter that you're probably gonna be interested to really take your time with, really make your way through that. You're gonna need to learn that, as you saw in today's teachings, you're gonna need to know that very deeply inside and outwards, backwards and forwards, and don't get frustrated if you don't understand it the very first time, because that's normal. That when you read through it the first time, you're probably not going to maybe understand it. You've got the words of the Buddha there and you've got my explanations as well. But remember, you're probably going to have to revisit that multiple times over the coming months in order to really deeply soak it into the mind and understand it. So be sure that you maintain your dedication and your diligence as you get into some of these more challenging teachings that you're going to see in this volume five. Don't shrink back from the struggle. As you feel the mind struggling or if you feel difficulties in the mind trying to understand some of this content, don't shrink back from that struggle. Keep progressing forward. And remember, you can always reach out in classes like this to ask questions. You can send a private message. You can post a question in Facebook, the Facebook group, Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, and I'll answer your question there or you can schedule personal guidance. And there's no limit to the amount of times you can do these things. So as you progress in your learning through the books, be sure that you seek guidance as you need help to understand this in one of those four ways, or maybe all of those four ways, because you're gonna need to know things like the five aggregates and 
the six sense bases and dependent origination and those first three fetters and how to eliminate them and other aspects of these teachings. So feel free to reach out. I'm here to help all of you guys as you make your way into learning and practicing for the first stage of enlightenment as a stream mentor. So next week we'll be in chapters 11 through chapters 20. Feel free to read those before class or before and after class, and then we'll get together and study those chapters as we did these. Tomorrow in the group learning program, we're in chapter 13 of volume one. In chapter 13, this is titled, Identifying Your Cravings, Cultivating Non-Craving and Analysis of the Mind. This is where I'm gonna teach you how to identify your cravings and how to put together a plan to actually eliminate them. Because as you know, as part of the Four Noble Truths, the Buddha explains how it's craving, desire, attachment that causes discontentedness. He also explains that to eliminate discontentedness, we need to eliminate the cravings in the mind. Well, how could you eliminate them if you didn't know how to identify them? So what I'm going to do with you tomorrow in the group learning program is teach you how to identify your own individual cravings and how to put together plans in order to eliminate them from the mind so that you can move more fully through the jhanas and through the four stages of enlightenment to actually attain enlightenment. So that's what we'll be doing tomorrow in the group learning program. And then on Wednesday, we'll be doing breathing mindfulness meditation in the group learning program. So I'll see you either next Saturday for this class, maybe Sunday for our class tomorrow, or maybe even next Wednesday, maybe all three of those times. In the meantime, have a really wonderful rest of your day. Have a lovely rest of your Christmas, and I'll see you next time. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.